Hello, you're back with MLEX's weekly podcast. I'm James Paniki from MLEX's Asia-Pacific team. I hope you're well in these difficult times. It's great to be back with you. And as I speak to you today, I'm looking at a COVID-19 tracking app downloaded to my smartphone. Now, every jurisdiction that has tried to develop something along these lines has used one of a handful of technological options, all of them with their own challenges and weak points. But one consistent theme of these apps has been the concerns over privacy that they've raised, prompting authorities in some jurisdictions to offer solid privacy safeguards as part of the rollout. Allaying those concerns is central to any voluntary contact tracing app because unless there's confidence in the app's safety, you'll fail to reach the sign-up threshold that allows the app to be effective. MLEX's global team of privacy and data security reporters has been following this very issue with great attention. And among them is Vesela Gladicheva, a senior reporter covering telecoms, media and technology, who joins me now from London. So, Vesela, different countries around the world are taking very different approaches to contact tracing apps. Why are we seeing such divergence and what kinds of risks does that bring? The first thing to say um, is that just like uh, there are no unified um, laws around the world on how to protect personal data, there isn't a a single approach to developing and rolling out um, contact tracing apps. Uh, And a few issues have really come to the fore in the past couple of weeks um, from our coverage around the world and the debates that have taken place. Um, and one specific issue that keeps cropping up is about, you know, where to store the data that these apps collect centrally or, or, or locally on the device. And that has really split uh, governments and uh, privacy advocates. And what is the consensus there? What is the best way to store the data? So what we're seeing is that in most uh, countries uh, which are wishing to, to deploy these sort of uh, tracing apps to, to manage the uh, pandemic, is that they're going for a uh, so-called decentralized approach uh, where uh, data is, is, is stored uh, sort of locally, yes, on, on the device, on a, on a Google phone, on an Apple phone, uh, because that's seen as less privacy invasive. Um, privacy advocates are saying that with the centralized approach where the data goes to uh, you know, government or health authority database, there are risks with um, kind of misuse of data, unauthorized access to, to data by government agencies, and a higher risk of uh, cyber attacks. So what has been uh, the privacy regulators response to the various approaches uh, around the globe? How have they uh, viewed this? And, and what kind of responses have they uh, put forward? So in general, they've been largely supportive, they see the benefits of rolling out such contact tracing apps. But of course, as long as uh, they uh, protect individuals' privacy. So they have really emphasized the uh, the need for safeguards, including principles such as transparency, data minimization. And in Europe, we've, we've seen particular guidance from um, privacy regulators stressing those points. Um, there has been particular praise for uh, the approach and the project uh, that Google and Apple are developing currently to come up with a platform that supports uh, government-run applications. Um, We've also seen uh, guidance and emphasis on, on the fact that kind of these national apps uh, should be compatible um, as travel restrictions um, 
starts to ease and people travel, they need to be able to sort of report any symptoms and it's seen as important that the app should be interoperable. And we should clarify for non-European listeners that there hasn't been an EU-wide approach to this. There's been really just a, a, a range of national government uh, responses, is that right? Absolutely. I mean, it's it's kind of wishful thinking, isn't it? Um, there is this desire for a pan-European uh, approach and Yes, which we, we, we haven't really seen in reality. And what are the key safeguards privacy advocates are calling for? And what could uh, shortcomings uh, mean for governments and app developers in terms of liability? Privacy advocates have stressed the importance of uh, being transparent about what the app does, who's developing it, and they really want to see, especially in Europe, a proper assessment of the data protection risks involved. Um, so, so, so they're really paying a close attention um, to, to how these apps are, are designed. Uh, they also largely uh, support a de- decentralized approach, and some have called for separate legislation or decrees um, just to make sure that, that there are those extra safe safeguards, for example, including uh, sunset clauses for when the app no, is no longer needed. So in terms of uh, your, your question uh, about government sort of liability responsibility, um, interestingly enough, in, we've seen some, some governments taking kind of extreme measures. Uh, in Australia, for example, um, the government has introduced uh, a maximum prison sentence of five years uh, for any attempted data breach. But in general, governments and developers they really need to show that they're capable of um, keeping the data safe. The key question is how successful will these apps ultimately be? Because there can be all of the safeguards in the world, but if there is no take-up, if no one's using them, then they won't be successful. Well, that's the key question. Most people would need to download um, these apps, um, maybe between 60 and 80% of the population. Um, yet, we all know that there are problems uh, with... Um, the fact that not everybody has a smartphone. Um, so that will lead to some undesirable gaps in, in the data. But I, I think m- more importantly, the, the issue of trust and confidence that the data will be handled um, appropriately by governments and, and developers will um, play a potentially a more significant role. The other really uh, sort of idea is that the apps alone are not going to re- resolve the issues that we're dealing with uh, here. The, and governments have really sort of stressed that point. They will go hand in hand with um, human sort of contact tracing processes. Vesela, thank you so much. It's been great talking. Thank you, James. Vesela Gladicheva, MLEX Senior Correspondent, joining us from the UK. Listening in on that conversation was Dave Pereira, an MLEX Privacy and Data Security reporter based in Washington, D.C., Now, Dave, picking up on that last point about what these apps need to be successful, what kind of data is required here? It depends on on, uh, who's making the app. When uh, automated contact tracing apps first uh, became a thing of discussion, uh, most of the emphasis started out being on location tracking. That that is using the uh, smartphone's capacity to receive Uh, global positioning satellite signals, GPS signals, uh, using its ability to track location through cell phone towers and come up with a uh, a location of uh, where a person is. And that way you could 
the the intention was from there you could correlate uh, the location where you were with the location of somebody who was known to have been infected with uh, the with coronavirus. What what's happened is the, the the conversation, at least in the United States, has shifted significantly away from location tracking to proximity exposure to, to to using specifically Bluetooth signals to rather than 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 trying to specify your your location you were at a certain point at a certain time instead now the the technology is shifting toward well you were within a certain distance from somebody who uh, has coronavirus. And has the move away from location towards uh, Bluetooth, has that been uh, dictated by concerns over privacy or is it purely just a, a preference when it comes to the technology? Privacy and effectiveness because it turns out that uh, location data on a smartphone is actually just precise enough to be incredibly invasive, uh, keeping a track of more or less where you've been, but it's not precise enough to determine where you are within, say, a two-meter radius, which is what we're supposed to keep distance from each other uh, while the pandemic is ongoing. Uh, it's not precise enough to actually tell if you were within a, say, cone of exposure risk with somebody else. Um, you could have GPS or location data coordinates that, that that place you within, say, you could be a foot away from that person or the same set of location coordinates could, could show you being within, say, uh, 30 feet uh, of that same person. The, the, the smartphone-derived location data just isn't precise enough to, to make that determination. Now, Apple and Android smartphones can now download an updated operating system to make this kind of collection of data uh, possible. Uh, how is that being received, that, that decision by Apple and, uh, and Google to uh, head down that path? Uh, there's a lot of uh, approval uh, from uh, uh, Apple and Google's uh, decision to use uh, Bluetooth uh, for contact tracing. There's a lot of approval from the, from the privacy community. There's also a lot of skepticism that comes from technologists that uh, the technology will actually be effective in uh, making uh, accurate determinations of coronavirus exposure risk. And, and in fact, you can see that change being reflected, or some of that skepticism being reflected in some of the rhetoric that uh, Apple and Google are, are using now. They, they changed how they're talking about the technology considerably to now talk about uh, Bluetooth uh, proximity exposure risk being a augment to traditional contact tracing, which which has to be conducted by a human, as opposed to a substitute. The question of whether Google and Apple, and Google in particular, I suppose, will be tempted to commercialize any data it might have gathered is a legitimate question, given, you know, given Google's business model. Uh, what is the company's answer to that? Both companies say that they won't use any of the data for uh, uh digital advertising purposes, um, they, they've taken great pains to, to try to assure people that uh, they will uh, treat the data uh, very carefully. In fact, actually, under the system that they've created, they say that there's very little data to commercialize. Um, the, uh, the, the Bluetooth keys that, that um, are being uh, broadcast from, from a smartphone and being received by other ones, 
don't contain any uh, identifiable data. Uh, they just contain a, uh, according to the company, they just contain a uh, numeric identifier, and that numeric identifier can't be linked with your with your particular device. Uh, even so, uh, the the companies are saying that uh, they, they they understand the privacy implications uh, that the uh, data can only be shared with uh, public health authorities for public health purposes. It can't be repurposed, say, by law enforcement or, or immigration enforcement. And it certainly can't be used for commercial purposes. Mm. Vesela mentioned in passing how Australia has introduced tough uh, new laws to safeguard privacy as part of the rollout of its uh, contact uh, tracing app. Uh, what, if anything, is the U.S. Uh, Congress uh, considering along these lines? So there, there are two bills, actually, in, in Congress right now uh, that would uh, specifically uh, create privacy protections during the pandemic for, for uh, automated contact tracing or proximity tracing. Uh, there is a um, Republican version that uh, came out. Uh, it was uh, written by uh, Republicans on the Senate Commerce Committee. Then there was a bicameral, that, that is to say, uh, Senate and the House of Representatives uh, version from Democrats that came out uh, j- just recently. And, and there's some significant differences uh, between between them. Privacy advocates uh, tend to say say that they favor the, the, the Democratic version is, is much stronger. You also get another line of, of response to the bill's Though, and that is, well, what's really necessary in the United States is a comprehensive privacy law that um, covers not just uh, coronavirus tracing apps, but all apps at, at, at all time. They're, they're saying uh, there, there are some people who have suggested that uh, it's actually a little funny to try to offer greater protections for geolocation uh, data during a pandemic, but not after it. Dave, a final question. Is it worth it? I mean, will smartphone coronavirus apps help to flatten the curve? Well, there's a lot of doubt about that. Just to give you a quick idea about why automated contact tracing or exposure risk can be so difficult. There was a choir early on during the pandemic in Washington State, and almost every single member of this choir became sick. And when uh, an investigation was done, uh, the the theory was that uh, the members of the choir were uh, exposed to greater levels of uh, coronavirus because they were singing, because they, they, they were exhaling so power, powerfully that the, the droplets uh, were, were propagating to nearly every member of this choir. And, and that's just simply the kind of thing that a smartphone app can't capture. It can't capture whether or not you're singing or not. So without human contact tracers and, and without a widespread testing regime, which is also something that, that's lacking in the United States, I think there's a lot of skepticism that, that the apps by themselves will, will be able to do much. Dave, the take-home message there is obviously never to sing in public, always do it just in the privacy of your own shower. But it's been lovely talking to you. Let's uh, talk again very, very soon. Thanks so much. Dave Pereira is an MLEX privacy and data security reporter, and he joined us from our offices in Washington, D.C. And that's it for this week's podcast. MLEXmarketinsight.com is where you need to be for all of the very best of our reporting and analysis. Just click on the Insight Center tab. That website again is MLEXmarketinsight.com. 
I'm James Panicki, Asia-Pacific Senior Editor here at MLEX. Thank you very much for your company this week. We'll be dropping another podcast into your feed next Friday morning, GMT. I hope you can join me then. See you soon. Bye for now.